There's gotta be somewhere else we can pull from. Come on, you love a challenge? I mean, I could harness the ionic radiation from the main phaser array, converting it into a temporary power source. Is that safe? Let's see if one is nothing to worry about and 10 is insane. I would say it's, eh, it's probably a six. Great science was never accomplished with caution. I'm not sure that's actually true. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast for two Trek fans. Step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge in 2022. This is Tyler Orton singing to my captain like she's never been serenaded before. Yeah, singing Blue Skies, right? Stormy oh. weather. Oh, how did we go from blue skies to stormy weather, Tyler? <laughs> they have something about, I guess... Uh, you know, the environment that uh, the uh, Star Trek writers are just in love with at this point, Cam. Um, I Look, we're going to tackle the last three episodes uh, bit by bit, episode by episode. I just want to jump over to Stormy Weather very quickly. The uh, episode six out of the five, six, seven, we will be reviewing. But Cam, I've never felt more uncomfortable in my life watching Discovery <laughs> than watching Burnham sitting on the captain's chair clenching uh, her teeth as hard as she can as if she's constipated and having Zora sing Stormy Weather as if it's supposed to be the most beautiful thing we've ever seen happen on screen. It just, it made me cringe oh so hard, sir. That, I, I, just, I just need to get that out of the way before we really dive into the last three episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Um, that scene is emblematic to my feelings on the whole episode, which is there are like... 10 different things going on at the same time and some of them are cool and some of them are just making me crawl out of my skin and I don't know which way to look. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we can get into it yeah. uh, in quite a bit of detail. Uh, we also have a special guest, Janine Smith. She will be joining us a little bit later on in this episode to share her thoughts on the last half of uh, season four of Discovery, or I guess I should say the last couple episodes since we last recapped. Um, Kim, Based on your text message, she seemed very eager to discuss Discovery. Is it because she's enjoying it? Uh, I would say, like, it's kept her plugged into the show. Like, I, I remember when we were going through season three, she was having a much tougher time sticking with it week to week. And I would be like, hey, do you want to do the show? And she'd be like, oh, I guess I better watch those episodes. It felt much more, I think, like homework to her for season three. And she would really enjoyed, I think, seasons one and two mostly. You know, there was pits here and there but uh, overall I think she was mostly positive on them but like with four she actually was ahead of me watching it I actually was behind the last two until a couple days ago and she was ahead of me being like you have to watch these episodes there's so much to talk about so I would say if nothing else and maybe I'll just make this statement now as we head into you know we'll talk about the examples but we'll also talk about stormy weather and but to connect but I think discovery has hit a point of maximum insanity. And I think this is a show that you and I have really enjoyed at times, been frustrated with at times. And I think we've gotten to a point in the series where the writers are just like, 
anything goes at any time. And so it's like you're kind of just fascinated to see what's going to happen moment to moment, even though a lot of it is just pushing and pulling you in a thousand directions at once. I know what you're saying, and I think emblematic of that is a blog post I saw a few weeks ago about how they're talking about like the way that technology is being treated on Star Trek right now, and that it just it's indecipherable from magic. And as you say, Cam, it just seems as if anything goes. I'll, I'll just jump very quickly over to the last episode, uh, but to connect, in which they've got this brand new store spore drive, and Tarka hmm. just drops it on top of uh, the console in Book's ship. And it's absorbed into the console. There you go. There's a spore drive yeah. for you. I'm just like, eh, okay, that's it, huh? It's just, yeah. it, it, it kind of shakes me out of the universe. Like, I, I have a tougher time believing the reality of the universe that they're trying to create here. Whereas I've been watching the last two episodes of Boba Fett, and it, it feels like a real lived-in sort of universe, even though I, I'm personally having my own issues with that series. But I would also look at, you know, the movie Doctor Strange which is explaining actual magic or, you know, the Marvel version of magic. And I feel like I have an understanding as to how spells work and, you know, like the finger movements that go into these things and sling rings and all that stuff. I have a good sense as to how these things work. Whereas with Discovery technology, I mean, honestly, once Burnham was pushed into a gelatinous computer at the end of last season, I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on anymore. But that's kind of how I felt with the technology throughout, uh, well, the example you gave and, you know, a few other things throughout the uh, last couple episodes. Yeah, well, speaking of examples, uh, why don't we jump into the examples in which we kind of kick it off with, you know, uh, an A story sort of focused on the DMA and then a B story focused on the evacuation of this asteroid colony. It has the makings to me of kind of like a, a classic Star Trek episode in which you've got like kind of this dilemma that you have to deal with on uh, both sides here. And we're introduced to uh, Tarka. He's not never called Doctor Tarka, but apparently he's a, a genius. So we'll go there. Um, I have complained in the past where I, I I don't like it when like the season long arc story is made the front and center sort of a story within a Discovery episode. But I like how they kind of address the DMA stuff going on here. I think the dynamic with uh, Tarka dealing with Stamets and Saru and uh, in weirdly edited moments, uh, occasionally Jet Reno, in which yeah. her head just keep popping in and then they'd cut away from her. It's very clear that she wasn't uh, filming those scenes with everybody. Um, I thought that was treated well. Uh, just overall, though, the prisoner stuff... I, I just found it so trite, cliche, I could predict it all beat by beat. And if you actually break down the actions of the uh, main prisoner, it's just kind of like, you kind of question what what he was even doing this entire time. Like, he, he's walking out uh, with his orb, he's got it in his pocket, he stands behind the force field, and then he pulls the orb out, and it's only when Burnham grabs the orb uh, from behind the force field. It just, none of it makes sense, other than you're trying to make a dramatic point. And it just, it takes me out of the universe. But what's your overall thought on the examples, Cam? I found the examples a very frustrating episode because on one hand, it gave me everything that I've wanted from Star Trek Discovery, which was, you know, a arc-based story that kind of keeps us up to date, but in a fun way, because I thought the Tarka character was a blast. Like, this is a character where I'm like, this is an injection of energy into this episode that I really, really appreciate. And we've noticed over the last little while on Discovery, they keep writing out the fun characters. You know, yeah. Giorgio's gone, Tilly's on hiatus or something like that. Um, or something. Who knows? Yeah, or something. <laughs> uh, obviously, you had your captain figures like Lorca 
and Pike left as well as Spock. So it's kind of like whenever you have these energetic, fun characters to watch, they leave. And, you know, there's characters on the show in general that are fun, but you kind of lose the big high wattage characters. And this guy, yeah, it's I been a while since great. we've seen uh, Linus. He he's gone <laughs> yeah. for the last little while too. They even acknowledged he was absent, and I was like, "Really? Did you have to do that?" But I kind of appreciate <laughs> that they did. <laughs> but yeah, like Tarka is a character, you know, played by Sean Doyle, who I thought this could be a total regular on a show, and I would be really interested in following this character week to week. And I love the banter he had with Stamets and Jet Reno. I thought that was a blast. So. Bringing in sort of a, you know, oil, uh, fly in the ointment character who can kind of kind of poke these other characters and have maybe unconventional approaches to, a, you know, solving a problem, I thought was a great idea and made the episode feel a lot more alive than it could have been had it just been a real flat characters in a room talking about the, uh, you know, this, this uh, season's problem. But well, exactly. The problem... like, like they have opposing views. There's tension. There's conflict, and that's what Discovery seems to be lacking a lot. Where the, the conflict's not coming from it, like internally, it's coming from kind of outside factors here. And maybe we do get some Book and Burnham stuff later on. But uh, sorry, I did cut you off there. I finished no, off no. that thought. It just the problem was like I really enjoyed that so much that I was like, this is some of my favorite material of the season. And yet, what I've complained about time and time again is that we don't get those kind of classic Star Trek mission stories and we got one and i was bored out of my mind for a lot of it it reminded me of that episode where they land in the prison with kyle paka (laughs) and i'm just like okay i once again find myself pondering with no real like ability to discern the actual reality of my guessing but like it's like i'm imagining this room of discovery writers and they're like okay we're gonna do a mission and they come up with this prison idea. What part of them is like fascinated and really absorbed in the storytelling of that mission? It doesn't seem to me like there's anything interesting on paper. There must be something. Are they sitting there thinking, we've come up with a prisoner story like we've never seen before, not just in Star Trek, but in all of television? You watch this, yeah. it's just, it's so boring and cliched and predictable and not interesting at all. Like, the most memorable aspect of it is the Beetle Bombs, which I thought were really silly, but I guess they're memorable? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, speaking of silly but memorable, uh, Reese walking up to uh, Burnham and saying, thanks for letting me do this. My town was wiped out by a hurricane when I was five. I was just like... <laughs> okay. I forgot about that. It's oh, my God. It's the first yes. thing we've ever learned about this man in, in four seasons. We know nothing about Reese. He's a complete cipher, and this is the first thing we ever learn about him. And that's also the exact moment he chooses to, uh, you know, reveal this information. Yeah. <laughs> and they do that again later, like, um, in uh, one of the episodes coming up with, like, a Washington running up to Saru and announcing a bunch of information at a time oh. where it's like everyone is in, like, a code red situation. It's like... Are you serious? Okay, and that's in my notes as well, where she explains, look, when I was five, I had a friend who was sick, and I wanted to do anything to help that friend. And I couldn't help that friend. That's why I insisted on running down and repairing the ship, even though you ordered me not to. I'm just like, okay. Like, it's just so ham-fisted, like, what they're trying to do here. But, like, you could take all of that dialogue... And what you do is, you have your crisis situation play out, whether it's the prison stuff 
in which case you'd involve Reese in the story maybe a little bit more. Um, and then also the, you know, the crisis in the next episode, Stormy Weather. You have that just play out to its maximum dramatic effect. And then you have that little epilogue moment, which I really love in a lot of Star Trek episodes where they're in, you know, 10 forward or something. And you have a little bit of information exchange. Like you, if you had a Washington kind of t- talk to Saru as sort of a postscript there in the lounge in front of the fire, just telling that story. It's a nice little character moment. It's sort of a gentle moment to go out on the episode. But it's like, you don't wedge it into this, like, situation where it should be escalating tension. I know, I know. Uh, so, Kim, we are on this planet, and they're making use of, you know, that giant LED screen that they're, they used on First Man, they've been using on Mandalorian and Boba Fett's. Um, it's clearly that's what they're using for this prison planet. But why is it that they seem to be using it to such greater effect on, you know, kind of the, the Disney Star Wars shows versus here where it just looks kind of like I thought the Navarre stuff a couple episodes ago looked fine, not spectacular. Mm-hmm. But this just looks so like digitally manipulated. and It really did look as if we were on that kind of old planet hell, as they used to call it back in, you know, the 80s and 90s on that, like, set in uh, the next-gen era, and it's just kind of like, it just, it, it doesn't look very good, just from a VFX perspective. Yeah, well, it looks also, it reminds me of the sort of um, uh, environments you see, like, for example, at the end of Avengers Endgame, when their yeah. home, you know, HQ has been blown up, and you're just in kind of, like, granite rubble. And that seems to be a frequent go-to for a lot of blockbusters. I think the ending of um, Batman v Superman did the same thing. And it's, like, I guess cheap. And you can uh, play around with your geography very easily because you're not having to show landmarks as to where the characters are in a scene. It's actually a very lazy way of staging, you know, action and dramatics. But um, I would guess that's why they do it. As for why it doesn't look as good as The Mandalorian or some of the Star Wars stuff... I don't know. Why do Marvel shows not look as good as Star Wars shows? I can't answer these questions. Well, I I, I do want to push back, though, because these LED screens, it's completely different technology than, like, the typical green screens that they're using on those Marvel movies that you alluded to. And we see that it's used to just exceptional effect in, say, First Man, as well as in the Disney Star Wars shows. And I just, I don't know why... It just comes off as, like, it seems as if there's no real discernible difference between what we're getting with all the green screen stuff in the uh, first three seasons of Discovery versus, like, this great piece of technology that's supposed to be so immersive and looks so much better. And it just it just looks like the same old, same old. I'm, I'm not impressed by this investment that they've made over uh, the, the past season. It could also just be the difference of Lucasfilm working on the effects for Mandalorian yeah. and Star Wars stuff versus the effects houses that, you know, Star Trek is using. But but uh, again, I'll, I'll push back on the idea. Yeah. It has, like, the green screen looks the exact same as this expensive LED screen technology. Like, there's there's no difference here. And I'm just kind of like, what was the point of investing in that? Like, I'm just kind of scratching my head at what's going on here. Oh, I mean... I guess the advantage is we can just have more variety of locations, but if, yeah, I mean, it may not make them look great, but I guess that's the plus side. Is that, we could have done that with the green screens though, too. Like, I'm just like, I'm just absolutely baffled as to why they made this investment that doesn't seem to be paying off uh, to any discernible degree, uh, just from my perspective. Um, The other, I just, we were just talking about Reese a second ago. I'm getting increased, and I want to bring up Dr. Kovic as well here, but we have moments where, like, the characters are communicating, 
over long distances, and they're appearing in front of the characters that are there in live action. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like holographic communication. And yeah. I, I get a, it, it. I shouldn't be annoyed by this. It's actually something that I liked when they were playing around with it on Deep Space Nine for like two episodes, like 30 years ago. I thought that was like, okay, they're, they're trying to get like more of that, the acting in, kind of instead of just like relying on view screens. But I feel as if it's kind of like cheating in, in which anybody can be anywhere at any time. And it's like, you're not playing within the parameters of what you typically get with Star Trek. And I know it's advanced technology, but it, it just kind of feels like a cheat to a certain degree. Well, it has that problem that they are really running into with this new season of Discovery, which is obviously set in the far-flung future of the 32nd century. And, um, you know, they, when they were doing the original Star Trek, and then when they did the Berman era stuff, they built in limitations to what they could do, and we had a good yeah. sense of what those limitations were. I don't, and it's something we touched on earlier, where like the technology in these, you know, last two seasons of Discovery, it feels like magic because they're not building in limitations. They're not explaining to you what those limitations could be. They're, I, I hesitate to say they're explaining the technology to us. I mean, they're throwing a lot of techno babble because you know the second episode uh, we'll talk about today is like wall to wall techno babble, but. It's not doing it in an elegant way where we go, oh, okay, I understand how this works and what could cause problems or why it could fail. It's very situation dependent. They'll be like, oh, we can't do it now. And you're like, okay, I guess. But a lot of it just feels like, as you said, magic, or it's just, it's a type of technology that we just really can't wrap our head around. Like there's no physical quality to it. Like if you look at you know, the uh, previous Star Trek shows, if you're watching them, whether it's the 60s or the 80s, you're watching them, you're looking at like physical things and you're going, okay, I can understand how that works. You push this button and this happens. Whereas like when I look at the interfaces and things like that in this Star Trek show, it just, I can't really wrap my head around it. And, you know, you throw in holograms and all that. It's like holograms by themselves aren't a problem. It's just the more you throw on top of it, it just feels kind of just, well, going back to the word you said earlier, magic. It's like anything could happen at any time for any reason, and yeah. without any constraints, you, it's hard to invest in what's going on, especially when you don't understand it, or you're not even meant to understand, you know, the constraints of this universe, because there aren't any. And, and the problem is, is like, okay, well, you can use that conceit to set things up, but if you're also solving issues, solving the storylines by falling back on those conceits as well, where, you know, just... Oh, we solved it uh, through kind of techno magic. It's just kind of like, you're just like, oh, okay. Like, uh, why should I be invested in what's going on here? And when you go through, you know, not just Star Trek, but look at, you know, sci-fi films across the era, you know, 2001, all the way to like Starship Troopers, Independence Day, all this sort of stuff. It's like you have a sense as to how things work and why characters can get in trouble or get out of it. Um, and that's not something Discovery is giving us. And I wonder if it's almost like by jumping to the 32nd century, they were suddenly like, oh, like that's a long ways off. Like we can't even wrap our heads around what the technology would be. So we're going to create things that now we can't really explain to the audience because we can't even understand it. Yeah. 
I kind of like that idea. I, you know, floated to you a couple months ago about like how saddles really haven't evolved in technology. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just kind of like maybe some technology hits a plateau. And I, I could have bought the fact that, you know, stuff like programmable matter didn't have to exist here. Um, I got to sure. ask a question uh, with, with Dr. Culber. Is yeah. this man not a medical doctor? Doesn't he have like like medical things to attend to but now he's got like five therapy sessions in like one day and kim where did he get his psychiatric credentials did he get it during that same like class that apparently like adira attended at starfleet academy to become an ensign in the course of like three months honestly i feel like this has just more to do with the fact that they love wilson cruz uh, i think audiences love the character and they want to give him more to do and there's only so many medical problems so mm -hmm. they were like okay let's just do this and People will go along with it. I agree. It's kind of weird, but I mean, I think Wilson Cruz is so good in these therapy sessions that I'm just like, sure, like, fine. And I, I liked when he has, you know, the conversation with like uh, Kavich in this one about like, you know, work-life balance. I like that like David Cronenberg is becoming this like, <laughs> I don't even know what to call him, almost like fatherly advice figure, stern father figure. When it's like David Cronenberg is known for this like very perverse filmmaking, like the idea of him being the sort of curmudgeony spinner of wisdom is really funny to me. Cam, <laughs> uh, what exactly is Doctor Kovich's job? Anything he does, anything you need. I know that well, that we're kind of getting into that that same issue we've been talking about here. Is just like anything can happen, anybody can do anything. It's like, I, I have no idea. Like, sometimes he's a commandant of Starfleet Academy. Other times he's a therapist. Other times he's interrogating Giorgio. I, like, <laughs> I, and he's a doctor. We've never seen him, like, addressed by rank, but Burnham did call him Sir in uh, But to Connect. So I'm just like, I, I don't know what his job is. Although, to be fair, we didn't know what a lot of people's jobs were on Star Trek Discovery. That's a common theme. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that, that is 100% correct. Uh, we still don't know if Jet Reno is officially the chief engineer. They, they've never ex explicitly stated that either. Who's the science officer now? Is it Adira? That's what I was wondering. I was talking to a friend of the show, Scott Hardy, earlier, who's behind on Discovery this season. And uh, asked me who the science officer is because he heard about Tilly. And I said, I think it's Adira. I think. But you also have Stamets, who is, you know, Lieutenant Commander Stamets. But he's not really on the bridge. He's down in engineering. So I don't know, Cam. Yeah. It, just go it, with it, it, man. Just yeah, go just with go it. Just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Oh. Best, best line. Best line when the prisoners didn't want to leave. Burnham was like, I'll advocate for you. Just kind of like, <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, I did like the line, though, where uh, Tarka says, great science has never been achieved with with caution. And Jet Reno's like, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. That made me the, laugh. The, the other line I was just like confused by was when Tarka said, you know, you're Galileo. And Sam was like, you mean Galileo? Sure. Why not? <laughs> Cam, what, what what did that even mean? I I don't know what they're trying to accomplish with that like moment. Uh, he doesn't know really who Galileo is. I don't okay, know. and and what's that supposed to inform the the viewers of? Like I don't know. Uh, 
I don't know. I have no yeah, idea. Exactly. Like, there's just so many things going on in Discovery in this episode where I'm just like, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what's supposed to represent. And I, I'm somebody who likes to give deference to creators and think like, okay, you know, like there is intent behind what they're trying to pro- portray. But the more I think about this, I'm just like, um, are they just kind of like trying to, you know how you've got like an essay to, you know, file to your professor and you just try to make like the spaces between paragraphs just a little bit bigger so that he doesn't notice that hmm. kind of just like fell at the page length just a little bit. Sometimes it just kind of feels like that. Yeah, it, it does. Um, I had a couple of notes I will bring up. Um, I made uh, some mentions here. Um, I wrote book equals season three enterprise trip which is really what it feels like this episode in particular just sort of underlines it it's this character going through obviously grief and just is sort of being used for conflict a lot uh, you know throughout these stories and it's like okay uh i guess we'll see how that shapes out but it really does feel like it's nailed down here also this is the beginning of zora feeling emotions which is going to factor into the coming episodes quite a bit quite a bit all right so uh we feel a little bit mixed on the examples let's jump over to stormy weather uh direct by one jonathan frakes and i was interested uh, as you got going with the episode i'm just like okay cool you got like a classic bottle episode the ship is trapped you've got the countdown you know the ship could be destroyed if they don't figure a way out of this subspace rift and i'm just like okay and then the show just starts it kind of has like this tedious ring to how everything unfolds as if they're just trying to as i said before like just fill out space on the script to uh get to where they want to go ultimately which is zora becoming obviously far more sentient uh with emotions gray is still hanging out on the ship for some reason (laughs) i cam why is gray still hanging out on discovery like uh, by next episode he's not you know and they they finally kind of write him off the ship which it's been a long time coming i've just never understood why starfleet was like yeah uh, this non-Federation synth whose continued consciousness after death we still don't understand and is just chilling in the lounge, sipping cocktails and making nice with a sentient computer? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, we don't have an issue there. I mean, I liked Ian Alexander's having the opportunity to have a scene of actually solving a problem and, you know, bring that to the captain, but it's also like, it feels a little tortured. It's like, okay, we want you know they're they're creating a parallel with Zora's sort of journey of discovery and Gray in this new form and i i kind of like the connection but at the same time it's awkward like it doesn't as you said it doesn't really make sense in the grand scheme of why is gray here i i i'm i'm struggling with it and i think the writers are just like okay we wanted to really kind of kind of honor the idea of having like our first trans like non-binary couple um but we don't know what to do with gray about you know like it made sense why gray was hanging around the ship last season just because his consciousness was somehow tethered yes i'm using the word tethered to adira (laughs) for reasons we'll never understand after gray died and now that gray's in his new synth has transitioned into his new synth body it's something that they've really want to emphasize as well i think they just kind of lost any sort of story momentum about where the character goes from here and i i think that's fine like i i don't like it when shows like kind of overstay a character's welcome and i think we're kind of getting to that point with gray and i'm I'm sure he'll show up uh maybe a, a few more times before the end of the season but i'm okay with leaving him off where we do in the next episode 
Yeah, because I find like an episode like this, which it's a little bit of a tortured reason for Grey to be there to solve the problem. But like, I'm more okay with this than like the next episode where Grey's like storming into like the captain's quarters being like, I'll speak for Zora. And it's like, (laughs) can you imagine an episode of like TNG or like (laughs) someone just like stormed into like Picard's ready room? Yeah, well, not even like that, because Gray's not even, like, a Starfleet member. It's got to be someone who's not Starfleet. Oh, it's Waiter Ben. (laughs) Just, like, storms into Picard's ready room. He's like, excuse me, I got this. I know. And it's like, no way. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Um, how did you think about this episode overall? Like, I, like, I, I found this one very frustrating, because by the time we got to the end of it, I was just like, make it stop. Make it stop. I was so torn on this episode because, like, this is the one I was really referring to where it's just, like, craziness is going on and I don't really know which way to look. And a lot of it I really liked. I liked the whole just complete black space setting, like, how unnerving that was and the characters having to use, you know, math to try to figure out distances and, you know, what the threats out there are and how to escape. So all that stuff I thought was fantastic. Um, maybe not done with sort of the grandeur of what you would get in like a, you know, all-timer TNG episode or something, but I, I really appreciated that they were doing it. Um, but like, you blend that together with like the Zora stuff, which got real cartoony, and you referenced it, you know, at the start of the show with like, by the end of the episode, you've got Zora singing, and then I'm really confused because like, I thought like, just the shot of like discovery flying and like the fire off the hull and everything looked incredible. I loved that shot. It looked beautiful. But then I'm like cutting back to Zora singing stormy weather. And I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. Think this looks cool or just be like rolling my eyes. So I don't know. I'm so mixed on this episode. I think it was probably of the three, the one I maybe enjoyed the most, but it's also like it had parts that were far by far the worst of anything I saw among the three. Well, and Honestly, it's because of those worst parts. This is why it's my least favorite episode of the three that uh, we're talking about uh, today. And so I just, this one just got under my skin so much. It it just aggravated me, especially when you have like the hero shot of Burnham walking out in that EV suit where you have the music swelling and sparks Hmm. flying. And you know that they're just like, look at what a badass she is. Here's the problem. uh, SMG... She is a very, very lovely woman. Uh, you go to any convention, she just she's a just a mensch. You know, she's a great person. But she doesn't have that physicality where you walk down a corridor looking like a badass. She just she can't pull it off. She just doesn't have that badass aura around her. So that moment rings so false to me. And then the line delivery, let's do this. I'm just like, okay. I'm just like, that's the stuff that kind of was making me cringe along with her really clenching, sweating, and grunting on that captain's chair like she had uh, <laughs> needed a couple uh, sips of prune juice as uh, Worf would like to drink or something like that to help her out there. But I don't know. I-, I will say this, though. Out of the three episodes, this one had my favorite moment in which Saru is talking to Book about his own feelings with regards to sitting on the council with uh, yeah. the, those aliens. Uh, I forget what they were called. The ones the that Ba'ul. had the, uh, yeah, the Ba'ul in which he was saying, I still feel rage about what they did. And, you know, we're partners now. He can't help it. He's being honest there. But what this episode did is by establishing that, you know, the, the DMA, and I guess it was actually the episode earlier, but because the DNA, DMA 
It's not a natural phenomenon. It's man-made. It's actually taken away something very interesting that they could have been doing with Book, in which he he doesn't have an enemy to focus on. If it's a natural phenomenon, that creates so much more interest for me with what he has to deal with, and that he can't focus on a single person or entity that is behind this, that has intent to destroy his planet and everyone he loves. And, and they pick it up here in this episode where we see, I guess, visions of his father or like Book says by the end, I believe, I really do believe you are the ghost of my dad because that means I can uh, believe that my brother and he, uh, his son are out there still. I'm just like, really? Like, like we, we, there's weird deference to ghosts in Star Trek and spirituality. <laughs> and I'm not saying like we can't explore spirituality in Star Trek, but it's like Roddenberry was a humanist and, and he wasn't somebody who said like, oh yeah, it's just as it, just as possible that spirits uh, could exist as it is that they don't exist. Like he was like, no, um, humanity has gone beyond that. And, and like, I, I realize like yeah, book is not a human, but it's it's just, it's that sort of like worldview that kind of like, made me cringe as well and in, in, in how they want to say like it's just as possible that book has uh valid reasons to believe he's haunted by the ghost of his father as he's just having hallucinations like i don't believe that's the case there and it also just it, it makes his arc this season far less interesting like than if he can just like um ha he would otherwise be an atheist dealing with not having control over what happens next and who he can focus his rage on you know, that, that's kind of why this storyline kind of irked me in this episode, too. I mean, I thought the father stuff was the worst part of the episode. Mm -hmm. And that it was like, okay, he's having these hallucinations, I guess, of his father. Um, this was such a one-dimensional portrait of this father. I just made a note. His father is an a-hole. Like, that's what this character seems to be every time he's on screen. So it's like, there's not even dimension there. You're not even... This is definitely not a, you know... Picard tapestry living a life sort of story it's like okay we get this father figure to come up and bark at him for extended periods and we go okay well this is unpleasant yeah. and they just kind of acknowledge it okay the, the symptoms will wear off at some point it's like okay fine but like <laughs> it feels like in a very busy episode why is this here and it's because they and this is where I continue on with my note about you know trip in season three we are in full trip mode now where you have trip wanting to like wipe out the zindi and you have now you know created this villain um or this antagonist of the season that has created this you know anomaly that now book can be this force against and that's his entire purpose in the season and so you have the father figure trying to like spurs aggression that will continue into the next episode yeah hey, you know it's interesting they're giving book a lot more to do this season but I don't think it's been particularly good material. I, I just think that David Ajala is just such a good actor. He's been able to like use what he's got and make it uh, far more believable. And I can invest far more in what he's going through. Because I think it was a different, if it's a different actor dealing with this, I, I would just be like, oh God, this is not working at all. Yeah, like David Ajala is the type of actor where I go, this guy's probably going to be like famous at some point or yeah. like get like a big break in a movie that you know the world pays attention to um it just feels like he's headed down that road 
<laughs> yeah, but instead he got stuck in a pattern buffer known as Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> I did like the shout out to, uh, you know, Scotty from Relics and the uh, the DS9 crew in Arman Bashir with them uh, escaping to the pattern buffers, except when everyone holds hands and says, I love you, and then they go into the pattern buffers, I'm just like, puke, puke. It's like... okay. The- <laughs> the, the, the writers love their writing so much. The writers think so highly of how magical it all is. And it's just, it's not working, people. Okay, what made you want to puke more? That or at the end when Zora made the family tree with all the Discovery crew members on it? And Burnham's like, I love you all. I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> I guess the family tree. I guess the family tree, Cam. That made me yeah. just like, I mean, I, I understand what they're saying, but it's like, so in the other series, you, you think of the the 1701 crew, the Enterprise D crew, like they create these makeshift families. I get it. But it's not as if they are literal children who express their feelings like children would, though. And like, Cam, you and I are, are very good friends, right? We, we've known each other. Yeah. <laughs> More than a decade. How often do we tell each other we love each other? Like at the end of every single um, Zencaster recording session. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's a bad example. I don't know. I've been at my my job for eight years now. Cam, you've been at your job for like uh, probably like close to two decades. Oh my god. Yeah. And um, how often Over. do you how often do you go up to your coworkers and say I love you? It's like it just the problem is it doesn't ring true. Like, they keep trying to say, we've created an actual family. This is a real family. And it's just, I'm like, okay. Like, I just, the problem is, I don't buy it. And they keep going with it, even though I don't think it's believable. And, again, it kind of falls into the thing, uh, I didn't really mention this, but, like, when, you know, Burnham has her big action moment at the end of this episode. um, It's the sort of thing that, like, if it was a rare occasion, like Janeway in Macrocosm, it might have worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact we've seen Burnham do it so many times, yeah. you're like, yeah, 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 okay, we, we don't it know loses where its this effect. is going. Yeah, it loses exactly the effect, and that's the same thing with the "we love each other, we're family," and that they like seem to do this in every single episode. I know. I know. <laughs> it's like we get it, we understand. It's a serialized show. We have to be paying attention week to week. It's not being aired out of order like the old days. It's like we know we saw this in the last episode. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. It's just kind of it's getting awkward to watch that that's all and so um i don't know like i i i think that there's stuff to like about this episode like i get like i'm not going to judge you for saying this is probably your favorite of the three even though it's my least favorite of the three but there's other stuff that you know okay okay so it's a, an increasing dilemma i'm having with uh the post 22nd century version of discovery or i should say post 23rd century in which you have Ensign Cortez dies a rather meaningless death here. So are we to believe that he goes, leaves his family, jumps 900 years into the future just to meet such a capricious, <laughs> inauspicious end for no real reason? And it's kind of, and like, I kind of thought Dr. Pollard was about to die. And I was like, oh no, not Dr. Pollard, because mostly in my head is like, she doesn't deserve this. She certainly didn't get a good send off if she was going to die. And it's that sort of stuff where, if I want a head candidate, maybe I can just justify like these are like new recruits from you know the thirty second century and they ended up on 
you know, the discovery somehow. I, I, I don't know, but I don't like that idea where, like, crew members die, and I think it's incredibly unfair. I mean, I, I get it, like, life's not fair, but it's just, it's one of those things that just kind of bugging me right now. I thought they put more emotion into the scene where the dot died in space than the uh, crew member. <laughs> they did. They did. Yeah, do you know why? It's because he was about to project another Buster Keaton movie onto that black space <laughs> there, you know. So. When it started screaming, I was like, oh my god, I'm having flashbacks to the transporter malfunction in the motion picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So look, we, this one is, uh, I guess, yet another entry for uh, our next episode on Daddy Issues. We've got that. They're setting up more of the Zora stuff, which they do get into deep uh, on the next episode. And, you know, why don't we welcome Janine Smith onto the show in just a moment. We can get her thoughts overall and where the season's been going, and then we can dive into the mid-season finale with her, uh, but to connect. So uh, why don't we hang around for just one second? And now we are joined by a very special guest, Spore Driving Off to the middle of the DMA, Janine Smith. Hi, thank you. Hey, Janine, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you seemed very, very excited to discuss <laughs> Star Trek Discovery so far this season, season four. Uh, we don't really know why. Uh, we don't know if it's you're in love with it, you have some issues with it. Cam and I, we, we've been feeling a little mixed on the first half of this season, but... Uh, Tell us what, what's going on. <laughs> oh man, it's it, it's been eating me alive. And finally, the other night, I just messaged uh, Cameron to be like, "I have to talk about this." So many feelings. Um. Okay, this season. So Discovery, as you know from my previous visits, um, it's been it's been up and down for me for Discovery. There's been some real highs. There's been some real lows sadly more lows than highs but a lot a lot like you too i really want this show to find its feet and take off i don't want to be complaining about this series all the time and so far this season i've just noticed every episode for me has ended on a why why are we going here <laughs> why are we doing this why am I watching this? And and most of all, which is somewhat a positive, somewhat a negative, why do I care? Like I keep right. I keep coming back. I have next to no history with Star Trek. The only reason I am watching this series is because of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> and I and I, <laughs> and I keep going back. Like like every week or whatever. I go in to watch an episode and I really want it to be good. Like I have an attachment to the characters. I have an attachment to the journey, whatever it is that they're on. <laughs> but I honestly don't know why I care anymore. I, I like how the joke is on you, Janine, in that we're not even <laughs> podcasting weekly about the series anymore, but you're still tuning yeah. in weekly. Um, I know what you're saying. Cause I, like I've, so my experience has been for the last few weeks, like I'll watch it the day that the episode drops. And then when Cam and I are going to do an episode where we kind of review the past couple of episodes altogether, I'll go back and I'll rewatch all of them and I'll take notes. And that was my intent 
um, a few nights ago where I was going to watch all three of the past three episodes in a row and take notes diligently. And then after we got to stormy weather where we have Zora singing to Captain Burnham while she's constipated on top of the captain's chair, I just, I couldn't go to the next episode. I'd already seen it before. I just like, do, do I need to do three hours of this? And I, honestly, I liked, um, but to connect the mid season finale, mm -hmm. uh, more than the preceding, uh, episodes, uh, at least within this three episode batch that we're reviewing. But Janine, I'm with you. I'm just kind of, I keep asking myself like, why, like, what is the point of all this? Where are they going? And is it a destination that I'm even going to care about by the end? Cause honestly, I'm looking at like revelations about like, say like Sukal and I'm just like oh it got to the end of that journey and I hated it it was just kind of like uh, you know the journey is one thing but if the destination truly sucks I can understand look I okay I'm always of the mind like I should be there for the journey but sometimes the destination just sucks and that's what I'm fearful of is that's what we're going to get with the DMA even though we did get a Q shout out as well as a Nassine shout out uh, a Metron shout out uh, Iconian Empire shout outs uh, a few episodes ago but I feel you Janine I, I totally feel you mm -hmm. I, I was just gonna say and, and like the big thing for me is there's there's so much potential there there's so much yeah. potential. We've seen that they can write really good dynamic characters. Um, I think I said on my last uh, last appearance that unless it's a white male, they seem to be incapable of really having a strong character that we like, get behind, support through their almost whole journey. And that's flipped a little in that I think book is a really strong character that we can get behind and am interested in his journey. But yeah. so many of them, I, I disagree with you about Saru, Tyler. I don't think he's I a like strong Saru. character with the journey I care about. Look, nothing <laughs> is better than watching Tarka and Saru scream at each other's faces in uh, a few episodes ago. But, that, was, that was the best moment of the season. But I just think like we know that they can write strong characters. We we've seen we've seen bright spot moments with almost every character in the series where we're like, there it is, hold on to it, and, and then they don't. And, and just going backwards to what you're saying, I, I think what you're referring to like uh, a few appearances ago when you're referencing kind of like you know white male characters is like you had pointed out like kind of the anchors of the series happen to be people like Lorca or say pike and they happen to be kind of the the typical white male protagonist that you're going to get in any given sci-fi adventure and it's just kind of kind of disappointing that there's so much potential for us to have all these like uh characters that would grip us just as much and it's just kind of it's a little unfortunate that maybe the brightest of the shining stars have been kind of that typical protagonist character we're so used to whereas cam and i were just discussing it like david ajala like he's been working the hell out of kind of the the so-so material he's been given this season and I, i'm enjoying what book's doing i just wish it was kind of more interesting yeah i totally agree i also think like janine matters more to discovery than tyler and i do because they know that tyler and i are going to watch a new star trek show like paramount they ain't concerned about losing us we're doing weekly Star Trek podcasts, for God's sake. Yeah. But it's viewers like Janine who are like the people they want to be watching these shows because, you know, it's someone who's a casual Trek watcher, you know, hasn't watched a lot of Trek, as Janine says, but like they want her to be there. I am curious, though, Janine, 
watching this season, would you say this far into season four, is it better or worse than season three? Hmm. You know, it's hard for me to say because season three was so bland and yeah. sort of like I didn't really <laughs> care about the journey. So I almost... It also I, seemed like a missed opportunity. Yeah, like, so I've almost forgot about it. Um, so is this better? It's it's very similar in that there's this this big story, this, you know, big mystery that Burnham's going to have to solve that I really don't care about. So I think it's I think it's pretty equivalent. Okay. And I didn't want to mischaracterize you because I mentioned earlier in the episode that like seasons one and two you were more on board with and, and enjoyed versus like season three I know you really thought was homework. <laughs> yeah, I loved, loved. I mean, I'll, I'll go to the grave saying that Lorca was my captain. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's dark. <laughs> I loved season one. Um, season two had a few had a few bumps um, for sure, but loved the Pike storyline and looking so forward to Strange New Worlds. And se yeah, season three for sure was, it was rough to get through. And then when the whole Sukal appeared and I just was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know what? The actor said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Now we gave our thoughts on the uh, two episodes, um, the examples and... Um, um, stormy weather. Yeah, stormy weather. Um, but what were your kind of brief thoughts on those two before we get into the, um, I guess, mid-season finale, but to connect? So the examples, let's start, let's start there. That episode for me kind of didn't really make a lot of sense as to why they centered around going to a prison to rescue a few people. <laughs> Um, it seemed kind of, I, I don't know Star Trek. I, I've said that before. So maybe this is normal captain behavior, but it seemed really irresponsible for a captain to be sort of going off um, when like an entire planet needs to be evacuated to just go off to save three prisoners. So I, I didn't understand the premise of why this was an episode. Um, I, I really didn't understand what they were trying to say. Um, having the one the one person wanting to stay and basically atone for yeah. his sins and book like losing his mind over it i i, I you, you guys have said it before in episodes like it discovery is taking itself so seriously and in this episode i just felt like they were really trying to drive home a message to us about something but i have no clue what yeah. Other than the show is very important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. but then it does stupid things like exploding beetles or whatever those were. With so, buzz saws in their yeah. backs too. <laughs> yeah. So, so that one, that episode to me, I mean, just overall, all of the episodes to me have been really bland, and I haven't been super engaged in them. Um. So yeah, the examples was just another one of those where I just sort of went through it and I was like, okay, fine. Right. A any brief thoughts on stormy weather before we jump over to, but to connect. That one, 
one just didn't make sense to me. I, I was like, why are why are we? Is that is Admiral Vance really sick? Are we making up stories to get Burnham and Saru there? Why would they do that when they could just literally be like, hey, go talk to you know the council or fill in for so and so? It it again it it just seemed to me like one of those storylines that they're trying to drive some big point home in the end of it but they write this convoluted story around it that none of us really care about. And it, it seems to me like they're, they're consistently trying to set up these scenarios where Burnham can come out and just prove everybody wrong. And this, this was another one of those where you think it's going one way and then Burnham's like, I got this step back everyone. And of, and of course she was right again. She is a God. Like, (laughs) Like, that's what the writers want to make clear. Like, she is a messiah figure. She's never wrong. She has mm-hmm. her flaws, but she is of the most virtuous sort that we could ever hope for from a Star Trek captain. Well, I, I think I've said to Cameron before is, is Burnham, to me, she suffers from the Ray syndrome. So Ray from the new Star Wars movies. And that they've taken a role that historically has been predominantly male i mean i know with star trek there was janeway so there has been a female captain but overall generally it's been a male captain and they take these these roles and they put a female in and it's like they don't know how to make it equivalent equivalently strong so they have to make them better in everything right it's like ray came in and she was better than luke at everything all of a sudden and just excelled way past him it's like they're they're doing that in Star Trek with Burnham. They don't know how to write for the, just this really in-depth, strong female character that is fallible, that does make mistakes, but overall is, you know, amazing and great and soon to be one of, you know, the top captains. They're just like, no, she's she's got everything. She's perfect. Don't worry about it. And then when they have, like, a character maybe point out flaws in Burnham, mm-hmm. um, you know, as like the Federation president does, they've written that Federation president character in a way where the audience is kind of being told to not listen to that character or take what they're saying that seriously. Exactly. And and then we have, you know, in, in that, in the episode, we have basically that Burnham and, and Saru were lied to by the president in order to sort of get them there. So that gives the audience another reason not to trust the president. And therefore, we're on the side of Burnham again, because the Burnham, Burnham doesn't trust the president. And then I, I think we all know where it's going, where Burnham's going to be right about the president. And as you say, she's probably going to be the president of the Federation when this all ends. <laughs> so I wanted to also touch on in Stormy Weather, you have the whole them in the kind of the black space and having to solve a problem, a very Star Trekky story. And did any of that work for you with like Zora's burgeoning emotions and a lot of techno babble? And techno babble, something I think as Star Trek fans we're very used to, but for someone who's maybe less um, <laughs> seasoned as a Star Trek watcher, did it feel impenetrable to watch? So overall, the the DMR storyline lost me a lot when they said that it was human built. Um, that lost a lot of interest. So. All the stuff surrounding solving the mystery of that, um, trying to figure out what it is, really is not holding my attention. I'm I'm not sure where 
or why this whole Zora storyline is is a part of the series. Uh, it feels very how to me um, from 2001. Right. I just find it very strange. It's it's very unsettling <laughs> to have suddenly this this voice just suddenly transitioning to human. It 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 feels to me like they're trying to make some sort of connection to um, the society with people, you know, transitioning and like, they're trying to build it into that by having gray involved in it and gray sort of walking her through it. It it feels a little icky and I don't quite know what they're trying to say. Right. I mean, the season has been very much about connections. I don't know if you've noticed it. <laughs> There's a lot of connections. Seriously. That was last season, though. That's also true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay, let's jump over to uh, the mid-season finale, but to connect here. Um, you actually kind of kick it off with an idea that I like in which you have people debating ideas within Star Trek. And I think we can always come down as like, well, how well does Discovery execute on that idea? And there's you know some sort of cliched moments where nobody wants to advocate for the first contact side except for Burnham who hmm. has to now go up against uh, Book. But I do think it's it's good that they are putting these characters at opposite ends, um, in which there's natural tension developing between the two of them. So I think that was kind of an effective thing that they did. And honestly, it's just cool to see an old-fashioned Star Trek delegation once more. We're seeing aliens like the Lurians, the Ferengi, those butterfly people from the season premiere. I like it when they're pursuing that sort of stuff. And then you have it juxtaposed, uh, very obviously, with kind of the debate over what is Zora's constitution? And, you know, she explains, you know, she's not just AI becoming sentient. She is this integration of the orb, the organic uh, space orbs uh, life or sphere data, whatever you want to call it. it. It's so confusing now, as well as the components of Discovery the Ship. And so I, I find it is interesting that we kind of have this back and forth. It was just, there's kind of this moment where it seemed to be lacking a little bit of oomph that I would expect that we would get from a mid-season finale, myself anyways. But uh, Cam, what were your overall thoughts on this one? This one was, it, it's kind of, again, giving me what I want without kind of the life force of an episode that I would really be getting behind. I did enjoy just the debates. And I thought one thing that was kind of an issue with me with the Burnham book story was, you have that scene where, you know, Book gives his impassioned arguments for why they should um, attack the source of this weapon. And, okay, cool. I think David Ajala kills that moment. And then when they have Burnham go to do it, they, like, intercut what she's saying with what Stamets is saying with the whole Zora story. And I'm like, I kind of get what you're doing artistically, guys, but I kind of feel like you're undercutting an argument against book side when we yeah. don't get to hear the full argument i, I think You're that's a being... moment where yeah go ahead well they're telegraphing that burnham is on the right side of things and that book is on the wrong side of things as opposed to making it a little bit grayer and saying that hey there there are valid arguments for both sides even though they're they're telling the audience essentially like burnham is right just as she always is yeah and that's the sort of moment where i go in a different episode, I might appreciate if they cut short on the Burnham monologues. Like, that might be okay with me. But in a moment like that where they've actually built up a conflict between her and Book, I'm like, 
I want to see what she has to say in this moment and how he reacts to it beat by beat. I think like that's a dramatically interesting scenario that I kind of don't understand why they fumbled it. I completely agree. And and for me, it was like Book's argument was so strong. It was passionate. It was emotional. And then by having Burnham's intercut um, the way it was with Stamets, it, it took away the, I think, the respective rebuttal that Book's argument deserved. Right. And so they sort of downplayed that it deserved this this respectful rebuttal to it. And then, but of course, everyone votes Burnham's way anyway. In all fairness, I I do agree with Burnham, though. Like, uh, it'd be my personal preference that they seek first contact rather than a an aggressive approach. You know, like, let's go ahead and destroy it. Um, but it, it's kind of tough when I, I don't think both sides were given their fair shake uh, here. Um, we do get some more background on Tarka in which he's essentially looking for an alt-universe utopia. And I, I get the sense that this friend of his is his lover. Um, that's, I think, what they were trying to signal there. I don't know why they just didn't say it or left it uh, kind of ambiguous like that. But I I like the... I, I, so far, I'm enjoying this character. And the thing that concerns me is, does he end up turning into that mustache-twirling villain that we've gotten in other seasons, such as what happened eventually to Lorca or what we see with, say, somebody like Leland? I, I want him to have a valid motivation, which they seem to have established at this point. And continue even if he's not kind of opposing ends of what burnham wants continuing to have kind of a valid point of view of kind of pursuing this even though my suspicion is he's just going to want to harness all this energy regardless of what damage it could cause um tons and tons of different planets or people and that kind of makes him less interesting that's what i'm concerned about yeah what have you thought of tarka janine I really liked Tarka. I thought he came in. And I really liked the way he worked with Stamets. I loved the rapport they had and the um, the way the two actors bounced off one one another. I thought that was really strong. And I thought the same with him and Book. Um, I think, like I said, they have the ability to write really dynamic characters and dialogue on the show, and, and you can see that in some of the scenes with Tarka. But I, I did get a little concerned when suddenly, you know, the mirror universe is brought up and that, yeah, they're going to look to sort of make him slowly turn and become that evil side and everything's been, you know, to to his advantage and he becomes sort of a, a micro villain. And I don't, it wasn't actually Mirror Universe because I think Book, I can't remember which character was, said Mirror Mm -hmm. Universe. And he's like, no, no, you're thinking small. Like, it's Mm -hmm. something else out there. Like, it's another alternate universe. Um, Okay, sure. But, like, I feel like the way this season is going is, obviously, we've been shown Burnham wants to do first contact with this mysterious, you know, species 10C who has created this anomaly. So, the season is going to be this contact with this species. But I got a feeling Tyler's kind of right, where ultimately you're going to have some sort of antagonist that does something, um, you know, that has negative consequences. And I really think that's going to be Tarka. Yeah. Uh, So we talked a little bit about Zora. As we explore her subconscious, is it just me or is she really nosy? Like really just spying (laughs) on everybody and all their intimate moments and everything? 100%. Yeah, yeah, that's not cool, Zora. Now that you're now that you're a Starfleet cadet, <laughs> um, that was such a weird decision. 
<laughs> is that all like uh adira had to do is just swear an oath to starfleet and that's how she became an ensign that's what they seem to like imply here yeah because like zora you just like have her upload the entire history of starfleet and she's like okay i'm good to go <laughs> i should be the captain now yeah. <laughs> i mean she might as well good. be yeah. you know when burnham becomes president yeah, yeah. yeah there you go she's like the ech from star trek voyager yeah, exactly. Um, and, like, I think there's interesting questions about having, like, Zora as your computer running the ship in, like, these scenarios. Especially, like, in an episode like this where she's, like, withholding information from yeah, them. Yeah. But, like, I, I don't know that the show is going to do this a lot where we have Zora having debates with the captain about things. Uh, it's going to be that classic, uh, I'm the captain now line. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> From Captain Phillips. Yeah. It just seems so crazy to me that, you know, they're taking this time to create this character of Zora and and then with that shuffling off other characters that I feel like deserve a bit more of a storyline and respect, like um Tilly, where's she gone off to? Gr- apparently Grey's going off somewhere now. So yep. it, it's almost like the writers are like, I don't really know what to do with this character right now. So just go away and we'll do a little storyline with it, with this now. The, the Tilly thing irks me because they kind of explained it in the show, but it doesn't feel as if we've come to the end of her journey yet. They've not given us hints that we will be revisiting her within the show. But if you go and look at interviews, you know, Mary Wiseman doesn't really have a good explanation as to why she's not in the rest of the season. She says she'll make an appearance, but it's just the way that they handled it. It's like, you know, something's up behind the scenes. I'm not saying it's anything um, of any sort of malfeasance, nothing like that. But you just know that we're not really going to know what's up until kind of the end of the season. It's going to be, I don't know, It, it something seems a little, uh, smells a little rotten in Denmark, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Well, it was a very awkward, like, writing out of a character. Very awkward. Well, it was crazy because, I'm sorry, she did a terrible job, really. I mean, someone died on that mission. (laughs) She couldn't control them. She she had no control over any of the the pupils, and they're just lucky they all got out. Well, they didn't all get out alive, but they're lucky (laughs) they got out alive. And and then they're like, here, take a job. I'm like, she literally is, is so unqualified for this position. Are you implying that Discovery has a history of promoting <laughs> wildly incompetent people? You know, yeah, I'm saying it. Yeah, you heard okay. it here first. Hey, folks, where were the <laughs> where were the Klingons uh, during this delegation, this multi-planet delegation debating whether they should be aggressive towards the DMA or take a first contact approach? They were somewhere at the bottom. <laughs> you never okay. saw them. Yeah. Oh, you know, we just missed them. Uh, you know, yeah, that's probably the best floors. explanation. Yeah. They haven't yeah. addressed... It's, it's just weird that we... I was going to say they... Ha- yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to say they, they haven't addressed what the Klingons are yes. up to this time in the galaxy. It, it's weird. It, it stands out, you know? It, they made this whole ham-fisted scene of having someone from Earth or whatever at the start. But I was I was like, who cares? Where's the Klingons? Like, that's in the, in the Star Trek... Even I know in the Star Trek world, yeah. like, they're important. Where are they? We spent how many seasons with them on the show Discovery, and now we're like, they don't, eh, don't worry about it. I have no idea if there's like some sort of like 
they don't want to show Klingons because they're redesigning them or something. Because, yeah. like, to explain why they look like they did on TNG and whatever. Like, I, I don't understand what's going on with the Klingons. Um, maybe they're workshopping them still. Uh, who knows? It might just be easier to not even address it. You know, kind of avoid yeah. whatever problems. If, like, they come back looking the same as they did during the Discovery Season 1-2 era, that's just going to raise even more questions if you go see Season to Picard and Worf makes an appearance looking like his normal self. And so what? Do the Klingons go back to looking like, you know, the season one, two Klingons from Discovery again? Like, I don't know. Like, it's probably best left alone at this point. I'm not dying for another Klingon storyline. It's just, it, it is a little odd that they really haven't been mentioned other than um, Book did kind of call Burnham out on that whole Vulcan hello episode, um, which <laughs> was, uh, I kind of appreciate that uh, she screwed up and still doesn't really want to admit it. She's like, look, I had deep knowledge of the Klingons. Like, don't you judge me for that. It's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I had a question for Janine. You were saying like how they don't give a lot of material to the characters who are established on the show. Like they often sideline them. Who is like one character who you've been frustrated with that they haven't acknowledged as much as they should? A character who maybe popped for you in seasons one and two, for example. I think Stamets has been continually underserved. Yeah. Um, I think he had some really great I, he was one of my favorite characters in season one and now he's sort of just been shuffled to the sideline um i think culver they're definitely finding more and more to do he's just such a warm character that when they put him especially when he's working with book like when they put him sitting opposite someone and, and supporting them I, I think they do a really great job of that yeah well uh, folks uh, any final thoughts on okay we're at the halfway point of Star Trek Discovery Season 4. Uh, how are we feeling overall about the direction the first half of the season has taken? Cam, start with you. I guess my answer is I have no idea. Whereas, if you'd have asked me this um, you know, in Season 3, I think my opinion would have been quite negative. I think I would have said I got a real bad feeling about this. This season... My answer is, I have no idea, because this show is just, as I said, throwing crazy curveballs at you left, right, and center. So it's like, some are working, some aren't. I'm really going to be curious if when we get to the end and we meet Species 10C and this is all resolved, if my takeaway is like, boy, it was insanity, but it really paid off in the end. I, I have no idea. It just feels like a weirdly like going in a thousand directions at once season. Where are you at, Janine, with it? I'm in agreement with Cam. My hope is that the writers pull back a little and instead of having these thousand different places we can go and all these different characters and let's bring in some and get rid of others, they just sort of pull it back and keep it simple. Give us some give us some episodes with really great um, character to character dynamic dialogue work, a few little conflicts, working through little pieces. Um, and obviously having the bigger story around it. Um, but just get it a little bit more simple. I have hopes that that's what they're going to do. Um, they've done it before. We're sort of the second half of the season has pulled together. Um, it's not lost for me. I, I just, I have less interest in the bigger story, much like the Red Angel. I don't care. Just give me the little bits around it as something to hold on to. 
For me personally, I was cautiously optimistic after the season premiere, and at this point I feel disappointed about where ultimately they've gone. Just kind of like, I keep thinking to myself, like, these are the stories you're excited to tell? Like, really? Like, this is what you're doing with this magnificent universe that is Star Trek? And I mean, and I think what frustrates me is like, what the writers seem to be saying, it's like, you know, you can't judge the season until you get to the very, very end. I'm just like, well, it didn't really work for me last season because I rewatched season three and it actually made that experience all the more frustrating. So I don't know. I, I find it to have been a mixed bag. There, there are elements that I've enjoyed and a lot more stuff that has just made me very frustrated because it's not good storytelling. And even though I, I think it does, Discovery gets a lot from having like from really some really good characters and i don't know how much they can just continue writing that uh for the way that they have i had a question for you tyler is this season though giving you more than what the marketing led you to believe when we were watching those trailers for discovery season four Th those were terrible trailers and the marketing looked awful yeah so yes i guess this is better <laughs> than what i was expecting but uh still it seems as if they they the writers kind of learn the wrong lessons. Like they, they try to improve and iterate on things season to season, but oftentimes it, it's like two steps forward, one step back. And it's just, they don't quite grasp how the best shows on television right now are approaching storytelling. And I'm thinking of just something like station 11 on HBO right now, which is just magnificent to watch. It is kind of a, um, an alt universe sort of dealio. And I am captivated every single week, and it, it's a very much a character-based show where you know, there, there's an ongoing story arc, but I don't need this mystery box stuff for me to be satisfied with wherever this show goes by the end of its 10 episodes. Mm -hmm. Well, we can only wait and see. Who knows? Maybe this season will all iron itself out, and then season five Discovery is going to be a dream once again. That's the optimism Star Trek And then we'll all look is. like idiots. Yeah, well, that too. We look like that anyway, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Yeah, Cam, we are going to tackle the evolution of ensemble casts in Star Trek. It's going to be a lot of fun as we see, you know, how TOS did it and where we're going with anything from animated series to this new live-action Kurtzman era. Uh, yeah, tune in for that. And we also realize that Star Trek Prodigy is now back on the air. We're going to let a couple episodes build up, and then we'll be tackling it uh, in just a few short episodes. Yes. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to going back to Prodigy. I enjoyed my first five episodes. Cam, you enjoyed those first five episodes? Well, listeners, why don't you give us five stars in all your regular podcatchers, be it Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, what have you. It helps more people find the show. It's free. This is all we're asking. We just want more people to uh, tune in every week to Subspace Transmissions. That's right. Okay, you can, of course, also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in volumes of Technobabble Smith. And you can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T, T is in Tarka's Cigarette Burn, O-N. Okay, and Janine, are you available anywhere online? Um, nothing I want to promote. Uh, I am online. Uh, you can look me up. It's mostly just me going to the gym when it's open. Uh, so it's at underscore banana underscore strong underscore. And that's where? 
That's at Instagram. Okay. The only place you'll find me. <laughs> that and the stars. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Stormy weather Since my man and I ain't together Keeps raining all the time Life is bare Gloom and misery everywhere Stormy weather Transfer complete